Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and I'm a certified holistic health and nutrition coach. We're broadcasting live from Malibu, California, and today I'm going to be interviewing Paul Jaminet of PerfectHealthDiet.com about his fantastic book, The Perfect Health Diet, Naturally. Dr. Jaminet and his wife have collaborated for many years on their book on what they think is the perfect diet for optimum health, and it is a a paleo or ancestral-based diet, but it's tweaked based upon their extensive research and dietary knowledge. But before we get started, I have to do a little disclaimer. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition. The Live to 110 podcast is solely informational in nature. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment I suggest on this show. And please go check out my website, liveto110.com. I started the site to educate you about paleo nutrition and the importance of detoxing from heavy metals and industrial chemicals that I believe are the major underlying cause of disease and how to treat your health conditions naturally without medication. And my goal with liveto110.com is to help you prevent uh, disease and live a long, healthy life. And if you like what you hear on today's show, please give the podcast a nice review and rating in iTunes. This will help people around the world to find the show easier and get my word out on health. I would really appreciate it a lot. Now, let's get on with the show. Good afternoon, Paul. How are you? Uh, Very good, Wendy. Great to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, first, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I've had sort of a a checkered career. I uh, started out as an astrophysicist, and uh, so I had an 11-year career in science at MIT, UC Berkeley, and Harvard. Um, But I got a little bored with science, and uh, uh, during the Internet boom, I decided to jump into the software industry and uh, uh, did a couple of startups. And uh, uh, then... uh, when a company I had co-founded moved to California, I stayed here. Um, my wife is a scientist at Harvard Medical School and uh, uh, decided uh, to start, uh, do something I'd always wanted to do, write some books. Uh, but I'd had some chronic health problems and they, they seemed to uh, keep getting worse. And I noticed that my productivity wasn't good. I was having... Uh, neurological issues, memory loss, and uh, I just wasn't being very productive. So my focus shifted a little to figuring out my health and uh, um, started making progress after we discovered the paleo diet in 2005. And uh, uh, that had some good effects, but also some bad effects, and it needed refinement. And uh, we've basically spent the last eight years figuring out how to improve paleo and make it better. And we fixed our own health problems around 2010 uh, and decided we knew enough to share it with others, so we wrote our book. And we've had thousands of readers report uh, great results. And so that's basically our, our history. So now we're just trying to share what we've learned and help other people become healthy. Yeah, that's great, and I love reading your book as well because I I totally identify with what you're trying to do with the book is you know start with a paleo based diet, but add in new foods that you know maybe the cavemen didn't eat, but that we have absolutely adapted to and are incredibly nutritious. You know, it's foolish to think we can't adapt to eating new foods. And so, what what are the foundations or the tenets of the perfect health diet? Well, I would say the first and most important thing is it's a it's a natural whole foods diet. Um, so processed foods in the supermarket, uh, you know, have sort of a a triple whammy of ill health. They tend to be uh, you know made of purified ingredients, so they lack a lot of nutrition. Uh, they tend to be pulled from the most toxic foods, and the um, the manner in which they're prepared in factories uses a lot of high heat and pressure, which creates more toxins. So they tend to be nutrient-poor, toxin-rich. And so it's very desirable to shop around the edges of the supermarket, get natural whole foods, cook for yourself at home using natural 
cooking methods. Um, and then our goal is basically to create uh, a diet that's free of toxins and that is optimally nourishing. So it's a balanced diet that gives you the optimal amount of every uh, nutrient. And so in the book, we go through, you know, all the or a great many of the nutrients that humans need and, and figure out how much we need and think about, you know, what foods, what mix of foods we should eat in order to get optimal nutrition. And it works out to, uh, you know, maybe three-quarters to a pound of uh, meat or fish per day, about a pound of what we call safe starches, um, about a pound of sugary plant foods, and about another pound of vegetables. Um, and, uh, you know, so basically roughly three pounds of plant foods, one pound of animal foods a day. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, by weight, uh, but most of the calories end up coming from the animal foods and from healthy, healthy fats that you use to flavor things. Um, we recommend a lot of what we call supplemental foods that are rich in specific nutrients that, that you need. So things like liver, egg yolks, uh, seafood of all kinds, seaweed, shellfish, and oily marine fish like salmon are valuable to include in the diet. Uh, fermented vegetables, bone, you know, stocks and stews made from bones and joints uh, are very good sources of uh, both calcium and collagen. Uh, and collagen is extremely important to get in the diet. Uh, so there's a, you know, pretty broad range of uh, uh, nutritious foods that uh, we make a, a point of persuading people to eat. And in, in general, uh, I would call our diet, uh, you know, balanced and uh, moderate. You know, people often tell you to eat a balanced diet, but, you know, what does that mean? And, uh, you know, so we try to figure out what that is. And, uh, you know, so we recommend a little bit more in carbohydrates than the average uh, paleo dieter uh, eats. But on the other hand, it's you know, only half to two-thirds as many carbohydrates as the average American eats. Um, so it's a, you know, in some ways our diet resembles uh, classic gourmet cuisines like uh, classic French cooking or uh, classic Chinese cuisine. Um, a lot of Asian cuisines are very similar to uh, the perfect health diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I noticed that, you know, your the basic foundation of the diet is like a paleo or ancestral type diet, but you modernized it by uh and improved it by including dairy and starches like rice and potatoes. Why is that? Well, um well, first of all, it, you know, there's sort of an historical historical reasons and how we developed it. So, I mentioned that uh my wife and I had problems on paleo when we first uh, tried it, and I had problems from being too low carb, so I was excluding starches, and I developed dry eyes, dry mouth, um, hypothyroid symptoms, and other problems, and uh, uh, you know some gut problems and other things, and uh, I ultimately realized that I needed more carbohydrates, and I just you know felt a lot better if I was getting carbohydrates in the diet. Um, and uh, and then as we did more research, we realized that you know the body really has a significant need for dietary glucose, and uh, you know so it, it's valuable to nourish yourself with with some starches, and uh, and there really aren't uh, it's only once you eat so much that you exceed your body's need for glucose and the body has to dispose of it, that you start running into problems. And that's generally over about a, a 30% carb diet. Um, you know, so even diabetics can eat a 20% carb diet uh, generally quite well. Um, and so, you know, so partly in that case, it was personal experience. Um, in other cases, it's been, you know, research-oriented or based on uh, uh, in a few cases, some feedback from readers, 
uh, have led us to investigate the literature more deeply and uh, uh, adjust our recommendations a little. Um, you know, but basically what's interesting is we found that you know, when you bring that paleo perspective uh, and an evolutionary perspective, then a lot of the data in the literature starts to make a lot more sense. It's, uh, you know, there's usually ways to interpret things that are different from the way the authors of papers interpret them. And when you look at their data, uh, a lot, almost, you know, the great majority of the data actually points uh, toward a diet like ours. And, uh, uh, you know, so that was really uh, a pleasing thing to find as we, as we did our research. And it was also very pleasing that, you know, the more we learned and the more we adjusted the diet, the more we kept getting led back to uh, gourmet traditional cuisines. You know, like I mentioned, French and Thai and Chinese and Japanese cuisine. Um, and, and in retrospect, that makes a lot of sense. We didn't realize it at the time, uh, but the reward system of the human brain has evolved. And, make healthy food taste delicious to us. And so if you're eating a natural whole foods diet, then the meals that taste great will generally be the healthiest ones. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, it's very, it's very pleasing uh, that we ended up in a place where all the evidence seems to point in the same direction and to be supportive of our diet. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that there's something to be said for some people need more starches than others? That's kind of an individual thing. Like some people that you know I've listened to said they they do better with their weight or whatnot, doing less starches and less grains, and others need a lot more. Um, well, there are some variations, but I would say that most of the variations are due to you know things like different gut bacteria and gut flora or to uh, health conditions like, uh, uh, you know, various illnesses like diabetes or uh, bowel disease. And in general, you know, people who, in general, I would say 30% carbs is really optimal for everybody. It's optimal for the human body. Uh, but uh, some people have, you know, genetic disorders and glucose metabolism, and that usually shows up in the brain uh, and uh, you know so those people may want to switch to a ketogenic diet which tends to be lower carb and we've had you know dozens of people cure their migraines by switching to a ketogenic diet mm -hmm. um, so I would say that's very common you know some sort of uh, genetic disorders uh, that affect glucose metabolism and then uh, but the biggest the biggest factor that makes people have trouble with carbs as some kind of gut dysbiosis, and the carbohydrates feed whatever infectious pathogens they have in their gut, and they get a big influx of toxins from the, uh, the microbial activity, and they feel lousy. Uh, but the solution there isn't to, spend, isn't to never eat carbs for the rest of your life, it's to fix the, uh, fix the gut problem and you know, restore normal gut flora and then you'll be able to eat uh, carbohydrates. Um, you know, so there are some individual differences, uh, but I would say that, um, you know, the, the fundamental biology of, of people is pretty similar. A few people have genetic mutations which have an impact, but usually, usually they don't make a dramatic change in how you should eat. It's more of tweaking things. Uh, and then, uh, you know, gut, gut flora problems can, you know, can have significant effects, uh, you know, creating food sensitivities or, you know, problems with carbohydrates. Yeah, that's a big problem today in our society. People are eating so much sugar and, and wheat and whatnot that the pathogenic bacteria are exploding in people's intestines. Um, and so, what about dairy? You include dairy on the uh, on the perfect health diet. Can you explain that? Why you included that? Well, it's a uh, <laughs> um, dairy is a little tricky because it's such a complicated food. 
um, you know, it has to be so that milk can have everything that an infant needs. Um, it, so it's, you know, it's a, a little bit hard to analyze. There's various issues with it. Uh, on the good side, uh, the nutrient composition is just about perfect. So, uh, and the fatty acid profile is just about perfect for us. So, you know, just like it's the perfect food for infants, it's still an extremely good food for adults in terms of its nutrient content. Um, and, you know, so it would be a shame to give that up. Uh, now, the basic potential problems are uh, cross-species proteins. So we can, uh, many mammalian proteins will be bioactive in us, uh, but yet they're foreign and we can have sensitivities and uh, so on to them, and they may not match our biology that well. Uh, so it's not uncommon to have sensitivities to uh, casein, uh, one of the proteins in, in dairy, uh, if, it's, if it's not properly digested. Um, and pasteurized milk uh, seems to make it hard to digest. Uh, you know, then it can have various hormones and other things. Uh, and then milk can also carry infectious disease. And, uh, and it's possible that pasteurization may not entirely kill uh, all pathogens. Um, so, uh, you know, they're sort of mixed, uh, uh, you know, and people don't cook milk when they get it home. Uh, so there's various, uh, uh, you know, pros and cons to milk. And in general, uh, the fatty uh, parts of milk, you know, like, like butter, is extremely good for us. You know, most of the problematic uh, parts of milk are more uh, water-soluble or, you know, they're in uh, white blood cells or other things that are in the milk uh, if the cow had an infection or something. Um, so, you know, something like uh, butter, especially clarified butter or ghee, is good. Um, and fermented dairy is generally quite good because bacteria break down toxins and other harmful things when they ferment. And so things like yogurt and aged cheese uh, are generally quite healthy. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, so we tend to recommend fermented and fatty uh, dairy foods and recommend against drinking milk. Oh, really? Yeah, are you a proponent of raw dairy? Um, well, it's again, it has pros and cons. It's uh, it's definitely more digestible, more nourishing. Um, but on the other hand, there is an infectious disease risk, and uh, and you know, so the farmer has to be extremely careful. Uh, and you should get you know because it's very easy for the udder to be contaminated with uh, feces and so on, um, and. So it's a, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a judgment call. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that you said that butter is really nutritious because it just it kills me whenever I go to a client's home and everyone has margarine in their refrigerator and like everyone has vilified butter and that it's bad and their doctors have told them to avoid it because of high cholesterol. Can you shed a little bit of light on the, that myth? Oh, yeah, well, margarine is awful and butter is, you know, just about the perfect fat, especially if it's clarified butter. Um, so it's, uh, you know, there was a lot of prejudice against saturated fats uh, and that's largely disappeared because, uh, you know, with another 20 years of research, people realized that none of it panned out. And, uh, um, and actually in clinical trials, saturated fat always does as well or better uh, than other kinds of fat or than carbohydrates. Um, and there was a lot of testing of those, especially the polyunsaturated fats, uh, because uh, when the lipid hypothesis was big, everybody assumed that if you replace saturated fats with polyunsaturated fats, uh, it had been 
shown that that could lower cholesterol levels. And everybody figured, oh, if we lower cholesterol levels, then we'll have fewer heart attacks. Uh, and so they made these clinical trials where they replaced saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat. And in nearly all of them, the death rate went up substantially in the polyunsaturated fat uh, group. And so, and in retrospect, you know, people had done some epidemiological studies, which seemed to suggest saturated fat might be bad. And uh, those have, uh, with better, with more data, uh, we found that those correlations disappeared or reversed. Uh, and then people made improper inferences from a bunch of, you know, really short-term studies, like the response to a single meal. And, uh, you know, seeing an inflammatory response to a single meal. But if you're, if you're changing your diet, uh, you know, people are eating one diet and you give them a totally different uh, set of food, then the short-term response doesn't indicate the long-term helpfulness. So there were just a lot of mistaken inferences. And uh, uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, what we've learned is that saturated fats are really extremely good for intracellular health. Uh, they make your mitochondria very healthy, your cells very healthy, and that's sort of a foundation for general health. Um, and uh, the short-term negative effects are, you know, saturated fats help cells, you know, push out things they don't want into the blood, and uh, and then the body has to has to deal with that. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, dynamics there, but um, actually over time, uh, saturated fats will uh, generally make people healthier. Yeah, I've also read that you need saturated fats in the diet to absorb minerals into your bones as well. Well, you know, saturated fats are make up like uh, 45% or so of all the fats in the body. And they're also building blocks for making cholesterol and, and other lipids and for making important hormones, uh, the sterile hormones. Uh, things like vitamin D and uh, related things, testosterone. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a, they're definitely nourishing. And when people eat lipid-deficient diets, uh, like the macrobiotic diet, uh, then they often get into uh, uh, situations where their body is really starved uh, for these fats with negative health effects. Yeah, and what about with red meat uh, or any kind of meats with saturated fats? Are those you obviously need to be eating those for health as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So we recommend um, making ruminant meats like uh, beef, lamb. Oops, sorry about that. Uh, beef, lamb, goat uh, uh, as a cornerstone of your diet, plus fish and seafood. So in general, anything. Any animal where the food chain is built on something green, like uh, you know green grasses in the case of cows or um, algae in the case of seafood, uh, is going to be the healthiest uh, food for us. And uh, the, the uh, animals whose food chain is based on nuts and seeds tend to be less healthy for us. Mm -hmm. um, so in general, uh, the red meat items are... Uh, quite good for us. Uh, the one possible exception is is pork, and a, a lot of the pork animals uh, carry infections, and so I would recommend not eating pork liver, pork blood, pork intestines, and also cooking other cuts of pork uh, thoroughly. So, uh, you know, it's probably good to simmer them for uh, 20 minutes or something in order to make sure you've killed any pathogens that might be might have infected that pig. Yeah, I read something interesting the other day that bacon is the most nutritious part of the, the pig. Is that, <laughs> do you find that to be the case? Um, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but it's, it's a benign and relatively safe. It's among the safest parts of the pig. Okay. Yeah, I was I was really excited when I learned that I really like bacon, <laughs> but even I worry about eating it though because there is you know the parasitic infection issues with pigs. Um, but uh, 
Can you tell me about your knowledge about the history of the hybridization or breeding of beef and how this affects the quality of the meat? Um, well, I'm not I'm not an expert on the history of cattle breeding. Um, so you may be thinking about the different types of milk and the different types of casines in uh, uh, animals. So it seems like uh, you know, some people may be extra sensitive to, uh, you know, certain breeds of cow. Uh, there's also such a thing as a as a beef allergy, which has turned out to be due to a it's actually a tick allergy, but the uh, uh, antibodies to the tick cross react can cross react with beef. Uh, but nearly everybody who has that continues eating beef, so I I guess it's not that severe. Um, and uh, you know, and the the casein problem, which creates sensitivities to milk, uh, that's really dependent on poor digestion. So if people's digestion is working well, uh, then uh, they won't really have that sensitivity. So uh, those kinds of sensitivities are usually diagnostic for some kind of digestive issue. Okay. So what foods do you think are particularly nutritious and should be included in one's diet? Well, I would say liver is extremely important. Uh, it has a lot of nutrients that it's, that many of which it's very hard to get elsewhere. And if you just include a quarter pound of liver per week in, in your diet, uh, then a lot of nutritional issues will often go away. And then another key one is egg yolks, and we recommend including three egg yolks a day in your cooking. Um, you can eat the egg whites also, but uh, uh, egg sensitivities are pretty common, and and, uh, and also uh, the egg white doesn't have much nutrition, so uh, you can actually increase the nutrient density of your diet if you discard the egg whites and eat more meat to get that protein. Uh, and just eat the egg yolks, and you can avoid that's funny, sensitivity. That's funny. That's the exact opposite of what you know. So many trainers or so, so many people think it's common knowledge to eat the egg yolks and not the whites. <laughs> yeah, that's another you know mistake back from the. Uh, uh, excuse me. Back from cholesterol phobia. Yeah. Um, so. Yep, it's uh, uh, yeah. The egg white is basically just protein. Uh, not very many people are deficient in protein. Uh, it's pretty easy to find meat or fish uh, to give you enough enough protein. Um, so can you, can you bypass the sensitivity issues that many people have with eggs by just eating the yolks? Yeah. So you know, first of all, you know, most of the sensitivity is generally to proteins in the white. So if you discard the white you know, you're reducing your odds of sensitivity by 80, 90%. And then the other thing to do is to cook uh, the white. So I would recommend mixing it in with something like, you know, coconut milk or something else in some kind of dish, a soup or a stew or something, uh, and then cooking it. And the cooked yolk proteins are much more easily digested. So in one study, the raw proteins were... Uh, only 54% digested, but the cooked ones were 93% digested. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so if you cook them, then you're reducing your chances of a sensitivity by 90% again. You know, so just those two steps, discarding the white and cooking the yolks, uh, you know, are probably reducing, you know, any sort of sensitivity reaction by 95% uh, or maybe more. And so that will generally prevent any sensitivity from developing in the first place. Uh, and then as long as you heal up your digestive tract, the sensitivity will, will go away. So, um, you know, as long as you're not, you just don't want to introduce lots of those undigested proteins into your body because then you'll keep generating more antibodies. Um, uh, if you can... Uh, you know, cook them enough so that you reduce the influx and then heal your gut, then the antibodies will go away and you'll, uh, the sensitivity will go away. 
Yeah, and what are some of the other foods that you think are really nutritious that people should be eating every day? Yeah, well, seafood is really important. Uh, shellfish has a lot of nutrition. Um, we're recommending we recommend one meal a week of an oily marine fish like uh, salmon, sardines. Uh, we recommend eating seaweeds, which have a lot of uh, uh, valuable minerals. Um, we recommend fermented vegetables. So fermented foods have a lot of uh, uh, certain nutrients that are hard to get otherwise, like uh, vitamin K2, vitamin B12, uh, nucleotides. Um, so there's uh, phospholipids. So there's various useful things there. Um, and, uh, and they also make the vegetables more digestible. So you get a lot of vegetable nutrition. And, and actually, the, and you get a lot of probiotic bacteria. Uh, so a lot of, uh, you know, you want to ferment vegetables, you know, in a fermenting chamber that creates an environment similar to our colon. And that way you'll generate a lot of beneficial bacteria. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then finally I would say uh, you need collagen. So you should have lots of connective tissue and some bones in your diet, and you should simmer them for quite a while to make them, render them digestible and solubilize minerals from the bone. And, uh, you know, so if you make soups and stews, uh, out of uh, bone and joint and connective tissue material. Uh, so it's good to buy beef tendon, it's good to buy chicken feed, ox hooves, ox tail, you know, uh, bones uh, that you can use for making soups and stews. Uh, and so we always have, you know, some sets of uh, food uh, preparing, you know, vegetables fermenting, uh, we always have bones and joint material around from, and, you know, we make a stock, you know, so after we cook dinner, we can, you know, put some bones on the stove and, you know, simmer them for three hours. And then we've got a stock that we can use for cooking the next few days. Yeah, I have gotten in the habit of making chicken broth, you know, at least once a week. And I just have a little cup every morning. And I think a lot of people don't realize, especially if they have a degenerative joint issues or arthritis that they they need that collagen to repair their joints, essentially. Yeah, right. So collagen supplements are really well attested, but if you go to the store and look at the price of the supplements, it's like, you know, this tiny amount is, uh, you know, $30, $40. You know, whereas you can get, uh, you know, joint material, collagen-rich material, extremely, you know, for $3 a pound at the butcher. And... Uh, uh, and just cook it yourself, and it's extremely important. So uh, collagen is 30% of all the protein in your body. Uh, you know, basically, this extracellular matrix material is 30% of your body weight, uh, just about. And it's constantly breaking down, and you need to uh, provide the nutrients to replenish it. And often people get uh, chronic infections. This was one of my problems uh, where... Uh, the extracellular matrix is getting broken down by the infection, and you need to constantly repair it. And so you need extra collagen, extra vitamin C, uh, and uh, some other nutrients, and you need carbohydrates. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's in, it's important to uh, uh, to get collagen in your in your diet. It makes a difference. Yeah, and that bone broth is also extremely mineral-rich as well. You're leaching all those minerals from the bones and just an incredibly nutritious food. So uh, what foods do you advocate eliminating from the diet? Um, well, most of the, the standard paleo items, uh, like cereal grains, legumes, uh, added sugar, and vegetable seed oils that are high in omega-6, um, and... So definitely cutting down omega-6 fats is a major, major point of emphasis for our diet. Uh, you really need very little omega-6 in your diet. You know, 2%, 3% of energy is optimal. And, uh, and there's really big negative effects to eating omega-6 fats beyond about 4% of energy. 
and the average American is eating 9%. So, uh, you know, that's, I'd say that's one of the major problems with the American diet, and it's also a major reason why U.S. life expectancy is about four years shorter uh, than most of Europe or East Asia. Uh, there really isn't that much difference in our diet apart from uh, we have higher omega-6 intake from uh, vegetable oils. Um, and uh, so the grains and legumes, the, uh, the reason for that is basically uh, grasses co-evolved with mammals. Uh, uh, herbivorous mammals have been grazing on cereal grains and legumes for uh, 50 million years. And, uh, and these grains and legumes have evolved toxins in their seeds uh, to prevent mammalian digestion from working. And those toxins work against us. And if they get into the body, they work not only against their digestive tract, but against all of our other organs too. And there's a lot of evidence for uh, grains and legumes causing problems. And, you know, so many people have improved their health by going on gluten-free diets, uh, which get rid of the most dangerous grain toxins. Um, there are also plenty of studies relating to legumes. Uh, there was just a study out that uh, people who ate tofu regularly uh, had a much higher risk for cognitive impairment and brain atrophy uh, 20 years later. So, yeah, I had, I had a really unfortunate thing happen with that. And I went vegetarian right after I had my daughter. And at about one year old, I started stuffing her full of tofu. Um, I had this brilliant idea that she was going to get her healthy beans. You know, vegetarian diet, the basis of it is beans for protein. And I started feeding her tofu every single day. And uh, she has a, a one-year speech delay. And I think that definitely has a, a that was, it was part in part responsible. And additionally, you know, soys, uh, if it's fed to children, it can give them manganese toxicity as well. It's just real nasty. Soy is so nasty. Yeah, yeah. Manganese is a neurotoxin too. So, yeah, it's a, it's unfortunate. Hopefully she'll uh, fully recover and, uh, you know, if, if she's, Eating well now, then uh, you know the body has great healing powers, and uh, you know so it should normalize itself. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful it will. She's definitely no more soy, and uh, she's on a, you know definitely a paleo diet, so she she'll be fine. Yep. Um, all right. So probably the you know the biggest difference in regard to the grains and legumes from other paleo diets is we recommend including white rice. And it basically gets back to the fundamental principle of our diet. We're trying to eliminate toxins and uh, provide an optimal amount of nutrition. And uh, white rice is unique among the grains in that all the known toxins in, in rice are destroyed during cooking. Um, and you can destroy many of the other grain toxins if you cook them for a long time in uh, simmering water. Uh, but, you know, nobody likes to have soggy spaghetti. Uh, you know, but white rice, uh, the normal cooking of white rice destroys its, its toxins. And, uh, you know, so it's a quite safe food. And... Uh, um, and, you know, we don't want to exclude foods unnecessarily. And like I said before, glucose is a nutrient. So, uh, you know, white rice, even though it's not nutrient-rich, it does have some nutrition. And uh, and it's certainly a very convenient uh, food. Yeah, that's really interesting that you're saying that white rice, you should be eaten instead of brown rice. We've been told forever that brown rice is healthier than white rice. Yeah, I don't think so. It's uh, um, the bran has uh, has most of the protein and most of the toxins, and so if you mill off the bran, you're actually making uh, cereal grains safer. And uh, you know, some authorities recommend eating the bran because of fiber, but actually in clinical trials where they give grain fiber 
uh, to people. The people who, who get the grain fiber always end up with worse health. And so, and that makes sense because uh, the beneficial kinds of fiber are actually the ones in fruits and vegetables, or they're a kind called resistant starch, uh, which is not what's in the brand. Uh, so the resistant starch is most common actually in potatoes and tubers, root, uh, starchy root vegetables and storage organs. Um, so it's actually very good to eat potatoes and fruits and vegetables and get the fiber in those, but uh, you don't want to get fiber from whole grains. Mm. So what are some of the problems with other types of grains, like uh, gluten-containing grains, for instance? Well, we... Um, Wheat has a lot of negative effects. It's um, Now, it seems like uh, people whose ancestors have been eating wheat for thousands of years have adapted somewhat and are better at detoxifying them. Uh, so it seems like the negative effects of wheat show up most strongly in, like, aboriginal populations or, uh, you know, people who haven't, uh, don't have a long history of agriculture. But even in Europeans... Uh, there's a lot of people with uh, gluten sensitivity and there may be insidious effects from various uh, wheat toxins. So there was a study uh, last year in Japan where they looked at uh, children who routinely, they compared children who routinely eat wheat versus children who routinely eat rice. So rice is the traditional food in Japan, but, but wheat has been making inroads. And, uh, and it turned out that the children who ate wheat had uh, lower IQs and signs of brain damage on MRIs compared to the children who ate rice. And their IQs were like 3.4 points lower. So, uh, and... You know, there's other similar evidence, like in China, there are wheat-growing regions and rice-growing regions. And in the China study, they compiled a lot of health data from, uh, I think it was 829 Chinese provinces. And uh, it turned out the strongest correlation with good health was eating rice, and the strongest correlation with bad health was eating wheat. Uh, and, you know, so if if rice is significantly better than wheat, that's exactly the pattern that you'd expect uh, because those are staple foods in different regions. People are eating a lot of them, so they have a big impact, and, you know, they show up high in the correlation studies. So, you know, and, you know, likewise, when you look at uh, wheat-eating countries versus rice-eating countries, like compare East Asia uh, to uh, America and Europe, uh, generally speaking, the more wheat uh, people eat, the shorter the life expectancy in that country. Uh, the more they use rice, the longer the life expectancy. Um, mm. You know, so there's a lot of hints that uh, you know that rice is safer than wheat. Uh, that wheat has, you know, it does harm. But it's really hard to, you know, it's really hard to conclusively prove the negative effects uh, when. You know, it takes 50, 60, 70 years for the negative effects to show up. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if 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 weed is shortening your lifespan by three or four years, uh, and it's just you know gradually breaking down bodily functions, uh, but it's very hard to do an experiment, you know, where you can observe an effect that takes 70 years to show up. Yeah, and so what are some of the problems with um, with legumes? Like, what, what problems do beans pose in the diet? Well, they're very similar biologically to grains. So they evolved a lot of toxins uh, to suppress mammalian digestion. And, you know, those can uh, cause great harm. In uh, many of them, just eating a small amount of, bean, of beans raw can be fatal. And uh, we mentioned a few cases like that in the, in the book. And uh, raw beans will, will kill uh, rats or mice very quickly. Um, so now cooking destroys many of the toxins. Uh, but in order to really reduce the toxin load from beans, 
what you need to do is soak them uh, for like 24 hours uh, to start the germination process. Uh, that really cuts down uh, the, the toxin load, and then you need to cook them thoroughly. So it's basically, you know, like traditional Indian cooking, you know, where they soak the beans for 24 hours and then they simmer them in a, uh, you know, curry for six hours uh, and really long cooking times. Um, and, you know, so they, they can be made safe, uh, or most beans can, but uh, nobody cooks that way nowadays. Certainly industrial uh, food producers don't. And, you know, in factories, they're trying to get the food in and out through the factory as quickly as they can. Uh, and so they're, you know, they're quite toxin-rich. And uh, we generally just recommend avoiding them. Okay. And so um, a lot of people think that soy is healthy, uh, yet you exclude it from the perfect health diet. And I completely agree with excluding it from the diet for so many reasons. And uh, can you explain some of the your like detailed reasons for why you recommend avoiding soy? Well, we've talked about some of them. It does have a lot of toxins, uh, toxins that act on digestion. Um, it has, uh, I mentioned the tofu study where it led to cognitive decline. Um, soy is one of the most common food sensitivities. Uh, and in fact, probably the majority of people that have egg sensitivities are actually sensitive to soy proteins in, in the eggs because chickens are usually fed soy um, to give them protein. And uh, and then soy also has huge effects on reproductive function in both men and women. Uh, so it tends to impair sperm quality in men. Uh, it's associated with uh, uterine fibroids and endometriosis in women. Uh, it has uh, various phytoestrogens and uh, uh, other things with hormonal activity. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of potential issues with soy. Um, also, the oil, soybean oil, is uh, majority omega-6 fat, and so that really contributes to the omega-6 problem that I mentioned. So there's a lot of reasons for avoiding soy. Yeah, and I, I was had someone complain about. I have a blog post on my site about soy, vilifying soy, and uh, the uh, commenter was complaining that the uh, the phytoestrogens in soy are very actually weak and that they don't affect our estrogen receptors very well. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, they are they are weak as estrogens, um, but. <clears throat> But I think there's reason to believe that they have significant effects. So, you know, for instance, my wife had ate a lot of soy for a long time and developed uterine fibroids and endometriosis. And, you know, that association is very common. And uh, I don't think it's necessarily due to the phytoestrogens. I think it's probably other toxins are more relevant. Uh, but... Um, you know, I think these, you know, like I said, the fundamental issue is, you know, these plants have been getting eaten by mammals for tens of millions of years. So, you know, unlike vegetables where their big threat is uh, insects and germs, and they make a lot of toxins, but they're not that toxic to us. Uh, these are plants that have been making toxins specifically for mammals. And they act very specifically on our biology and disrupt our biology. And they're intended to prevent our digestive tracts from digesting food. And, in, and genes are shared by all the organs. So anything that's powerful enough to stop our intestine from digesting food is also powerful to, enough to disrupt the function of other organs. And so I, I just, you know, I don't really see a good reason for eating these foods. They're... Uh, their fatty acid composition is bad. Their proteins are toxic to us. You know, there's plenty of good protein sources in meat and fish. So, um, you know, and even if you are a vegetarian, I'd recommend you eat dairy and eggs to get protein. So you can eat yogurt and uh, eggs. Um, be a lacto-ovo vegetarian. Um, 
you know, so I, I just don't see anything positive about soy uh, to make it worth taking the risk. Yeah, and it's really sad that there, there's such an escalating problem with infertility in the United States. And I, you know, I think it's directly or that definitely correlated with soy because uh, we get a lot of soy. We get so much more soy. We're ingesting so much more of it than we realize because it's in everything. It's in filler and fast foods, the filler and vegetarian products and foods. It's um, you go to Asian restaurants, so the food is cooked in it. It's just everywhere. So it's definitely yeah. something to be wary of. Yeah, it's um, you know, of course, it's one of the subsidized uh, crops in the United States, and uh, it's just the cheapest, one of the cheapest raw materials for food producers, and they use it everywhere. Um, so, uh, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, that was just so informative. And can you tell a little the listeners a little bit about? Um, your perfect health retreats. I think it's really interesting that you have uh, this retreat that people can go there and they can learn and you know eat your diet and start incorporating the principles into their lives. Yeah, well, we wanted to make it easier for people to uh, figure out how to for people to learn our our program. You know, actually, we have a lot more than diet. We also have lifestyle advice uh, in regard to circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting. Uh, enhancing immunity, um, how to overcome chronic infections. And uh, if people go to our website, perfecthealthdiet.com, and look at our reader results page, you know, they'll see we've got our readers have reported cures of, you know, like hundreds of conditions. And we think that makes sense because, you know, we're basically trying to address every single factor that impairs health and remove all the causes of disease. So if we get rid of toxins from your diet, if we nourish your body optimally, if we give your body the right environmental stimulation uh, and support immune function optimally, uh, then it should have the best possible chance to overcome whatever is causing uh, diseases. And so, but we still want to learn exactly uh, what we can cure and we want to help uh, people cure their own diseases because so many people are not getting help from uh, medicine. Um, and so we started up this uh, Perfect Health Retreat program. It's at an upscale property in Austin, Texas. And, uh, and basically all of your food is provided for uh, 30 days. Um, you get a 30-day educational program of uh, talks and so on. There's a resident trainer with an exercise program, uh, including yoga instructors, uh, Primal 7 movements. Uh, there's a gym membership. There's uh, 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 There are classes in cooking and gardening, hunting, fishing. Um, there, it's just a extensive program, you know, helping you learn how to cook, how to eat, um, how to shop for food, how to uh, live your life optimally. And so we give people, you know, an optimal diet and lifestyle for 30 days so that they can see the effects in their body. And we also train them uh, in everything they need to know, understanding the science behind everything, uh, you know, so that they'll be able to live out the diet and lifestyle when they go back home. And so far, at least, it's had, you know, tremendous results. We've had, like, 10 participants so far, and every one of them has had uh, tremendous health improvements. Um, and the variety of conditions uh, is great. Uh, we've had uh, four obese people who have lost tremendous amounts of weight. Um, one fellow is there now has lost uh, 21 pounds in uh, less than a month. Um, oh, wow. I'm going there. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, so <laughs> we've had several diabetics who normalize their blood sugar. We've had uh, a woman with Sjogren's syndrome who uh, is, is now able to cry, and uh, one with lupus who's re you know recovered a great deal. Uh, we had a the woman with Sjogren's syndrome had to walk with a cane and. Uh, you know, everybody who is on sleep, who is on pain medication, has has given up all of their pain medication um, because oh, okay. their pain is. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, so she was walking with a cane uh, and had been scheduled for knee and hip uh, surgery and uh, doesn't need the surgery and is now walking pain-free. Um, so, you know, I'll, it's it's exciting because I think, you know, we have a chance to prove uh with an unbiased sample, you know, we we see everybody, we see their results, and so if there are any negative results, we'll see those too. Uh, we haven't had any yet, but and hopefully we won't. But you know, and and that's good because uh, you know people just don't believe reader results reported to a website because they don't know if it's a biased sample. If you know, some people had negative results and didn't report it, um, and. This is a really good test because, you know, at the retreat house, we're providing uh, the food. It's a, you know, a controlled environment. There are, you know, bright lights during the day, dim amber lights at night, uh, you know, for circadian rhythm purposes. There's, uh, you know, so we provide exercise at the right, you know, opportunities at the right circadian times. Uh, you know, so people... Uh, it, it really is a you know a good test, and uh, uh, and you know everything is is optimized, and uh, and it really seems to be working for everybody who's gone so far. Yeah, it's really a testament to using food as medicine. That when you nourish the body properly, it, it can heal itself. as powerful regenerative uh, capacities. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, diet and lifestyle are really crucial. Uh, diet, nutrition, lifestyle. So, Paul, what uh, what projects do you have on the horizon? What are you up to these days? Well, uh, I'm working on preparing and improving the educational materials for the Perfect Health Retreats, and um, ultimately we're going to make videos out of them and uh, – uh, so we may have a, a video product eventually, and my wife and I are working on a cookbook. And then I'm also uh, working with the Ancestral Health Society uh, to create a scholarly journal called the Journal of Evolution and Health, and we'll be launching that uh, pretty soon. And uh, uh, and that's a very exciting project because. Uh, we can hopefully, it can be a forum for us to reach out and, and show the benefits of ancestral diet and lifestyle, uh, you know, to the medical community, to the academic, scientific community. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to uh, promoting that conversation and, uh, you know, compiling the evidence that, uh, you know, diet and lifestyle can really be effective in healing. Yeah, I'm really excited to see uh, what comes out of that journal because it's, you know, it can be difficult to find, you know, studies and peer-reviewed research and whatnot on the benefits of eating grass-fed meat and eating an ancestral diet. So I, I'm really hungry for more information you know, on those subjects. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think the journal can really be a focal point for bringing everybody who's interested in natural healing approaches and, you know, synthesizing all the knowledge and experience we have with the best science and the best research and engaging with other people who are outside the ancestral uh, lifestyle and, uh, you know, exposing them to what, to what we've learned and bringing more people into the community. So, you know, I think it, uh, it's potentially a very exciting project. Yeah, well, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, and everyone, please take a peek at his amazingly informative web website, perfecthealthdiet.com. And he's got an incredible blog, uh, supplement recommendations, recipes, and, of course, more information on his book, The Perfect Health Diet. Um, so, again, Paul, thank you for being on the show. Okay, thank you very much, Wendy. Thank you. 
So next week, I'll be interviewing fellow podcaster Beverly Meyer on how to optimize your feel-good neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine without supplements or antidepressant medication. And it's a big issue because 10% of the population is on antidepressant medication, and it's kind of be the wrong approach for many people, um, since studies do show that antidepressants typically work by the placebo effect. And um, it's just, you need to start thinking about natural approaches like uh, diet and maybe some targeted supplementation. So everyone, thank you so much out there to all the listeners for tuning in to the Lived 110 podcast. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes if you enjoy what you heard today on the show. And thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.